What's up, guys? Welcome to the Humans of MarTech podcast. His name is John Taylor. My name is Phil Gamash. Our mission is to future-proof the humans behind the tech so you can have a successful and happy career in marketing. What's up, everyone? Our guest today is Emma Payanen. She's currently based in Boston and was born and raised in a small town in Finland. She got her start in marketing at a Helsinki-based agency as a comm specialist before moving to big tech at a cybersecurity company called F-Secure and also spending a year in internal comms at Nokia. Emma also had a freelancing stint while she was on parental leave from F-Secure, where she later went on to lead marketing operations. Today, she's inventing new and powerful ways to engage with customers as VP of Marketing at Ivan, an open-source data startup turned unicorn headquartered in Helsinki with hubs all over the world like Berlin, Boston, Paris, Toronto. Some employees even work out of a mountainside van. Emma, thanks so much for your time today. We're, We're excited to chat. Thanks. It's really great to be here. Looking forward to the chat. We like to start our interviews kind of like dig, digging into the career stuff. So I gave kind of our listeners a bit of an overview on, on your path here. But mm-hmm. I think somewhere I'd love to start is uh, something that you have in common with JT, actually, kind of being a boomerang a few times in your career. So you worked at Ellen Cannot in 2010. Then you went on to F-Secure for two and a half years. But you decided to go back to Ellen Cannot in 2014. And then after a tour of duty at Nokia, you also decided to go back to F-Secure in 2016. So I'd love to just kind of get your take on uh, your experience being a boomerang. So for the folks listening that aren't really sure what I'm talking about here, it's kind of like being at a company, going somewhere else, getting different taste of experience, and then coming back to that company and sharing that experience there. So you did that twice. I'd love to just dive in there and get a start <laughs> and get your take on that experience. Sure. Um, I did indeed. And um, I think it's a helpful context if I say that learning has always been a really big driver for me. And I've never really had a linear career path in mind. In fact, when I was in business school, I didn't really think that I would end up in marketing, uh, but I somehow drifted into it early on in my career. Um, (laughs) And I wanted to try out different things. I wanted to do marketing, do communications, uh, do different things to see what I would really enjoy doing. Um, And um, in both cases of boomeranging, I left the companies in good terms um, and later then decided to return with some new skills and perspectives in my back pocket. So I think it was beneficial both for me as well as my employers um, back then. Um, And going back to the learning point, for example, um, my first gig at F-Secure was was kind of both a blessing and a curse. Um, I got the opportunity early on in my career to do something that not a lot of companies or people in Europe did back then. So Um, We did marketing automation, ramp things up uh, on that front um, from scratch. And we did a lot of things in digital marketing that back then in B2B uh, weren't uh, done very often. Um, And then when I dig myself into that rabbit hole and I wanted to see something else, um, it was a very difficult transformation within the company because they found it super difficult to let go of me because I had acquired skills that were difficult for them to replace mm-hmm. uh, so then at that time I decided to leave and um, and try out something different but then later on I I did indeed decide to go back to the company but I, I joined in a completely different capacity back then so I got a chance to lead the marketing and ramp up the marketing function in a new business unit that they had just acquired uh, through an acquisition 
So I moved from their product unit to then consultancy later on, which was a different cha- uh, challenge for me professionally as well. That's super cool. I mean, one of the things, obviously we have this in common, so I'll, I'm just curious on your take, like walking back into the office, whether virtually or not with, you know, a couple of years up on, on your resume where you've been out learning new skills, like, did you find it kind of surreal to walk into, into that company again and, and start applying your skill set? Like, was it just totally wild or was it just like, oh, you know, oh, I'm back here now again? <laughs> um, I don't think it was completely wild. Um, but it was definitely different. I think it was a good mix because as said, the company had acquired a new business unit. So I got to work with a new bunch of people with fresh energy and fresh thoughts. Um, also in an environment where they hadn't done marketing before. So it was a consultancy where a lot of the marketing was word of mouth or had been um, up until that point. And I had to work with them on getting them to even understand what does it mean to do marketing and why we need to do it and so forward. But then it was a really um, good mix because it was almost like joining a new company. But then I was still around a bunch of people I knew and I had the support of some other people in the company who already knew me, who had worked with me. So, you know, it was a mix of having an, uh, you know something new and then going back to something familiar. Very cool. So like you mentioned uh, when you were at F-Secure, like one of the things that you, you dived in that the company had a hard time replacing uh, after you left before you came back was uh, marketing automation, right? I, that's something that we have in common as well. Like my first gig out of the university was just like, someone gave me the keys to Salesforce Pardot and they were like, Hey, we're spending all this money on this tool. We're just using it to like send out emails right now, but like we're spending a lot of money on this. So like try to figure mm-hmm. out like how, how to, how to use it basically walk us through like yeah. your experience, like how, how you went about like learning that. Cause I'm assuming that like, there was no one at F secure, like teaching you like, all right, this is marketing automation. This is how to use that tool. Like what, what was the tool? And like, how, how did you yeah. pick up those skills? How did you like, like self-taught, I guess, like basically, right. Yeah, it was definitely a challenge. I think on my first day or first week, somebody told me that I was responsible for lead generation in the business unit. And my first question was, what is a lead? So I (laughs) really started from scratch. Um, But um, we had had one person who went on maternity leave. I replaced her in that role. So we had some of the foundations in place and we had an agency in Europe working with us on that. So initially I learned a lot from the agencies and then also networking with other people across Europe who had done similar things. Um, and then over time gained confidence and understanding myself. And then also was able to challenge some of the agencies and the other internal team members, but it definitely took time. And of course it helps if you have uh, a leader uh, working with you, who you can trust and who you can go to with your questions. Um, and I had worked for the company back in university as well. Um, so I kind of knew their business already and the business model and so forward. So it helped that there were some things that were familiar to me, but also a lot of aspects that were completely new, but we had a really good, uh, dynamic team of marketers, uh, working in the HQ in Helsinki. So that definitely helped. I bet. I definitely think the best way to learn operations, I think all three of us are in that category of here's the keys to, uh, some automation system that costs more than your salary. Now go ahead and, and make it work. 
I think it's the best way to learn, to be honest with you. Like you go out, you have real world problems. You start applying from day one. You mentioned working with an agency. I've experienced with that. That's really how I got my, my Marketo and marketing operations Mm -hmm. chops for, I know a number of our listeners have asked about hiring operations agencies and stuff like that. And one of the pieces of advice I give to, to everybody is uh, make sure when you're working with these agencies that you're like a sponge. So do you want to talk a little bit about like, how did you just like absorb all this knowledge and turn that into your own expertise? Hmm. That's actually a good question. I haven't thought about that so much. I guess I've been a sponge for all of my life. As, as long as I, I remember, like I was always a straight A student, but I didn't really do a lot of studying on my own. I just have a good, <laughs> good mm-hmm. visual memory. And if I was listening in class, I uh, could kind of absorb all, all of that knowledge. So I think curiosity and proactiveness are really good traits to have like if you Mm -hmm. just talk to people and proactively ask questions I think also have the guts to ask some questions like I just mentioned that I asked you know on my first day what is a lead when somebody told me that I'm responsible for generating those (laughs) I don't think that was a smart move to make probably (laughs) but I'm glad I was in an environment where nobody really punished me for doing that Um, but um, yeah I think sometimes it's just about also um, being really honest about the things you don't know yet um, and being proactive in raising your hand and asking the questions you need to ask to acquire that knowledge, if that makes sense. Totally makes sense. I think it's like when I'm working with junior folks or, or training people or mentoring, I think the number one problem that I see is people are afraid to ask what they perceive are dumb questions. I always say there's no such thing as a dumb question, just a dumb, dumb answer. Now, if you ask the same question three yeah. times, okay, maybe you need to go study something else. <laughs> but I think people really need to feel comfortable. Like a lot of us are just figuring this out as well. I know you're in, a, in an exec role and a VP role now. And one of the themes that comes up consistently with our guests on the show is learning and curiosity. Now that mm-hmm. you're in a leadership role, how do you, how do you turn curiosity and learning into like, part of your process of managing and leading a team and and how do you you know focus on bringing up new marketers who are going to be the next generation of uh uh you know superstars mm. yeah i think really first of all it's um finding those people in the hiring processes like looking for these certain traits like you know curiosity willingness to learn and those types of things and validating that in the hiring process I think it's easier to teach skills and even like some business knowledge to people who are curious to learn and and eager to do so um, and have the right soft skills um, for the job. Um, Then, of course, it's always a balance between coaching, asking the right questions, pushing the people to proactively, for example, connect with their peers in different functions, in different teams to look for that information, maybe pairing them with Um, people from other organizations who I know through my networks or through our investors networks for example who can give them some of the insights uh, that they need to succeed in their roles Um, but then also sometimes I do believe that coaching needs to be paired with sometimes you giving uh, the answers to the people as well so not just asking the questions but sometimes there are situations where then you also need to just give people the guidance or transfer the information that's in your head to the mm-hmm. people in your organization. So it's really a mix of, of these things. Um, and like I said, encouraging people to ask questions, to come forward with those um, and creating that environment of trust, I think is very important. 
Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Like when, when you think about like your 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 exec role now at at Ivan, like how how different is that like day to day from like maybe the director role you had at, at F Secure versus like some of the earlier manager roles that that you had. Like for the the listeners thinking, you know, like one day my goal is to be an executive uh, on on the marketing team. What what does the day to day look like? Like walk us through like how different that was than your previous roles. Yeah, I mean, I think I've gone through the classic journey from being an individual contributor to being like a player coach, building maybe a smaller team, also doing a lot of the hands-on work myself to being a leader and a leader of leaders. And especially in a hyper-growth environment like Ivan, a lot of my time goes into hiring and onboarding people um, and then the people leadership side of things and coaching people leaders as well in, uh, in leading their teams. Um, and then the longer I've been at Ivan, the more time I spend on contributing to the strategy of the company overall, the culture and other long-term bigger ticket items, like really setting direction. I have people working for me who are more competent than I am in their own areas. And it's my job to set the direction, Mm -hmm. um, and come up with the big priorities, but not necessarily tell them the exact steps we need to take to get there. Um, but to let them figure it out and give them the support uh, they need to get there. So you said something there that I thought was really interesting. And I think like when we're talking uh, marketing leaders, we often hear about like this flip that switches when people are no longer thinking about marketing programs and marketing campaigns. But as an executive, you think, how do I build this company? How do I put the positioning in the market? How do I make sure that we we take over you know, our space? Can you talk a little bit about how you curated that thought process in your own uh, leadership style? Yeah, that's also a very good question. Um, I think it's not really like flipping the switch doesn't happen overnight. Um, When I joined Ivan, we were a team of, I think, five marketers. And today we're over 40 people in my function. Um, Mm. So even though in the beginning it was, there was a need for me to be a player coach. There were a lot of things that didn't exist um, from tooling to process to talent. Um, and But then to even set the foundation and start hiring people, acquiring the technologies we need, building the processes, I did need to have the big picture um, for my function in place. And I think it really helped to then connect with other people in the business, our founders, for example. I mean, they had been very heavily involved in what we call marketing and developer relations today, and they had their own thoughts on what they wanted wanted the business to become. So tapping into that, uh, talking to the sales teams and others, again, being that sponge that takes the information in and then turns that into um, a vision is something that kind of needed to happen. And that's vision, I think, that time span for that vision has just extended and extended and then also my influence has you know sort of broadened from the immediate things I need to do in my function to also cross-functional initiatives many of the things we do um, on a company level are cross-functional initiatives everything we do on a strategic level requires input from multiple different teams and functions so it's really been a gradual change I would say 
Mm-hmm. I like the the collaboration piece that you mentioned there. Like most most leaders in, in executive seats, like don't get to where they were without like that collaboration piece, like understanding the sales function side of it, like diving into finance a little bit as well. Like with with the latest round of funding, uh, Ivan is now worth over two billion dollars. I'm curious, like based on like your experience working with like smaller teams ahead of this, like. What do you think makes up the DNA of a great marketing leader at like a $2 billion plus dollar valued company versus like some of those like smaller startup companies that you were part of before? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think there are some similarities definitely. Like you need to have business acumen, for example. And I think being data driven is definitely a plus being able to justify what you're doing with data and also monitor whether you're doing the right things um, with the help of data. Um, and especially in a VC funded business like Ivan, it's of course very important that we monitor how the investments are yielding the results we were uh, going after in the first place. Um, but in general, I think I spoke to you already a lot about a lot of the themes. So for example, growing leaders and and building the organization i think there's some things i've learned the hard way in scaling the organization and the team and doing everything you know at the right time as well because as we all know i might have an ideal or blueprint in mind for example but then things don't always go exactly as planned you don't necessarily find that the exact types of people you uh, you want at the time you would need them and so forward so there's all kinds of balls up in the air and you need to make the uh, the most of it then um, and being sort of uh, constant mode of solving different challenges uh, that come at you um, and I think it also helps to to think big like yeah have the business acumen but then also a- again contribute across org boundaries and think of what is it that we want to do as a business and how can my function make a difference there like, for example, what do we want Ivan as a company to be? What do we want our brand to represent? And now I'm not talking about, uh, you know, the colors and the taglines and so on. It's a, a, a passion. One of my passions is to talk about brand and what it means to me. Um, and uh, maybe this is <laughs> me going into a tangent, but uh, hopefully an interesting one. So for me, thinking about what we want the brand to represent and then really walking the walk is super important. Like, for example, when it comes to our commitment to, to open source, what can we really do that is interesting and that speaks to the vision and mission that we have as a company? Um, or any other themes um, that we can do something interesting about and create value for the stakeholders we work with. And that is really what builds the brand. It's the experience. Yes, we can talk about the Ivan experience and all the interesting things we're doing and how we're contributing to our customers' lives and the society. But if we don't do any of that, the brand is kind of shallow. So those types of things, like really thinking big and contributing to the business as a whole and understanding the business and the priorities. Yeah. I love what you said. They're like going beyond the brand, like outside of just like the, the colors and, and the taglines of, of what is typically known as kind of brand marketing. Like how, how do you think about brand marketing in a company like Ivan and like F secure as well, right? Like you look at your background and Emma's worked at like some pretty technical companies, like selling technical products to a technical audience. Um, oftentimes like you think of like marketing roles and like it's coming up with content 
content a little bit, like doing some branding stuff. And like, oftentimes you're lucky enough if the product isn't that complicated, but in your case, like in your career, you've probably like maybe curious to hear like how closely you've worked with like the product teams, like how much of an expert were you at like cybersecurity when you were at F-Secure and like the open source, like management software that you're diving into at Ivan now, like maybe talk to us a bit about like what it's like to market and be part of like branding exercises and like the whole customer experience when you're selling a very technical product to a technical audience. Yeah, this is a very big can of worms you've just opened <laughs> here and now, but uh, let me try to slice and dice it into smaller pieces. So first of all, um, I do want to still say about brand that I don't think that um, the visual identity, for example, doesn't matter. Uh, on the contrary, like, yes, you need to have consistency in your messaging and your visuals, because that's, you know, those are also the elements people remember you from. Like if you've seen the Ivan logo, for example, you can um, probably uh, imagine what the value of the Ivan Crab is uh, to the company and what people know us for. Um, but like I said, I think brand it, itself is much bigger. It's the entire Ivan experience from, you know, from our uh, customer support uh, to the product experience and how intuitive and seamless and easy that is mm -hmm. uh, and many other things like our product documentation for example is it intuitive for people to, to find what they're looking for in terms of guidance on how to tap into the technologies we provide as a service and so forward so um, it's a lot of those things um, and especially in b2b marketing really is all about educating customers in different ways. It's identifying the problems that the customers have and offering them solutions to those problems. Um, basically thinking of how we can add value to their day-to-day -day work and why should they care about this. Um, and a lot of this at Ivan is done through high quality content in different formats, whether it's um, us writing blog posts on certain topics on how um, how people can build applications with the technologies we provide, for example, uh, or technical documentation or talks at events. Like we can deliver the content in multiple different formats, but what's important is, are we really the helping the customer to achieve the goals that they have with what we're providing to them? Um, and then that quite often brings them to our platform to give Ivan a try, to try to use Ivan for the problem they have at hand um, and try to leverage us for the case that they're building uh, right now. Like for, for me, like I work at WordPress, we're selling a software that's like building websites. Like I, I it's, it's not as easy as like selling shoes, but it's not mm -hmm. as complicated as like selling a cybersecurity product to like a developer friendly audience. Right. So like yeah. maybe talk about like how the content team is set up. Like you just mentioned, you're doing events, you're doing a lot of like educational type content. How is the team set up so that like you have the subject matter expertise on a team to write on a technical level, mm -hmm. but also like like the marketers on the team that have like the SEO background maybe, but like understanding the customer pain points and like the use case maps, like how, how is the team kind of set up and how do you handle that for a technical mm -hmm. product? That's actually an interesting question. So we are a team of 40 people roughly right now in marketing at Ivan and 10 uh, out of those 40 people work in developer relations. So these are people who have a background in engineering or who have been using these technologies in their day-to-day -day lives in their earlier roles. Mm -hmm. So they are really 
um, the voice of the customer and the users within our team. And they are also the ones that are curating a lot of the content that we put out, um, but also engaging with our current and potential users in different social media forums and communities. Um, and uh, what they do is also collaborate with products on the developer experience. So that is really an important backbone of what we do, especially in developer marketing. And it's really great to have that team within my function because that, that enables us and also all the marketers, the copywriters, designers, and other people who work in marketing to tap into that firsthand customer experience um, and have that empathy that's needed uh, to succeed. Also, we have a product-led growth team uh, within the marketing function, and they are people who work on the earlier parts of the funnel, but also have a heavy emphasis on how we help our customers see and experience the value of Ivan after they've signed up for the trial version of the service and what happens afterwards. So how do we make sure that the product experience is intuitive? So if somebody logs in, can they, they find their ways way to the tools that they are thinking of using? Um, can they find the documentation they need to achieve the goals that they have and those types of things? Um, so there we have touch points and regular ongoing collaboration with our product and engineering teams, the developer relations function and multiple other themes, for example, our sales development team on how do we do that engagement and how do we remove the roadblocks from these users so that they see the value of Ivan as quickly as possible and then continue as paying users afterwards. One of the one of the things in, in my own career when I've worked in a, in a past life, I worked very close with engineers, selling to engineers and uh, you mentioned product-led growth, which I think is is interesting as well. Like the engineering crowd, I, I actually really enjoy marketing to them. They're, they can be a little bit difficult. I find them a bit allergic to your typical marketing uh, collateral, but they're the ultimate product-led crowd because they just want to build something. They you, you say you can do this with your product. Well, then I want to go do it and I want to be successful and I have the skill sets to do that. Mm -hmm. What what challenges do you find in in going after a uh, technical audience or very technical engineering uh, audience versus other types of audiences. Like you kind of already talked about that in your team setup, but maybe what does that look mm. like from a product led uh, growth model perspective? Mm. Something I quite often say is that I don't think developers are allergic to marketing, but they are mm. allergic to marketing. That's not relevant to them or yeah. <laughs> in their opinion, fluffy or bad marketing. So I think, I love that. Really, again, going back to this, who are the customers? What are they looking um, for achieving? Like, what do they want to do with the products? What is the problem that they are having that where we can create some value and then helping them do exactly that, whether it's in earlier parts of the funnel through content, informative blog posts on how you can use a Postgres database for something that you're building, for example, or something else or then in later stages, invest, investing in prompt customer service, for example, or an intuitive um, user experience in the product so that they find their way to getting that uh, Kafka cluster running or uh, in creating that Postgres database, for example, in our case. Um, so it's really a mixture of, of those things, but I think everything goes back to always asking yourself, who's the customer? and what is the value where we can create for them throughout the funnel in different stages. Um, and I think we've gone through quite a learning journey as well in product-led growth and what we call a self-service business model. So 
many of our users and new customers still start with us by starting the free trial, exploring and kicking the tires themselves uh, before interacting with us. And we want to offer them the opportunity, especially the technical audience to do that. They can come in, they can explore the product themselves. We offer them documentation, um, a chat function, a way for them to reach out to us if they run into any issues, but we also don't force them into that sales conversation. That said, we do work closely with our sales team on polishing the ways we interact with them so that we can identify when these customers have an issue. And also if they come to us with some questions um, that are relevant for the sales team, for example, that our technical sales team can solve, then we do move them to the sales funnel. But basically what we want to do is uh, have the customer define the rules of engagement and then try mm -hmm. to do our best to match those expectations from the customer side. In in your self-serve model, like there's always a great partnership to be had with product, right? Like you're uh, working with the, the free trial experience, you guys live and breathe what the, the customer issues are throughout the trial process and the initial phases of onboarding with the product. Talk a little bit and maybe give a little bit of advice to our listeners on, on how do you establish that relationship with the product team and, and, and what do you think marketing can bring to the product team to help the overall experience? Yeah, that is um, a really good question. I, and I think it's a, it's a bi-directional relationship where both parties can help each other. And I think it's this holy triangle between sales and customer success, marketing and sales that we have going on um, at Ivan, where we want to make sure that the experience from the field, mostly from our sales and customer success teams, but also increasingly from the marketing team gets fed to the product organization, um, what is resonating with the customers? What are the types of services they're using? How, how do we see them uh, behaving and so forward? Um, and also when it comes to product marketing, then observing what's happening in the industry, what are competitors doing? What do our customers want um, to do next? And how can we tap into that? And then feeding that into product, but then also for the product team to help us in positioning the company, mm -hmm. messaging about our different uh, products and so forward. So it's really a bi-directional relationship. And I think, I don't know if I have any trips up my, you know, tricks mm -hmm. up my sleeve for that, um, particularly on how to establish that uh, relationship. I guess it's a lot about, again, asking the right questions, but then also um, having some insights to share with them as well. And the mm -hmm. same goes, goes both ways. So really sharing what you've learned uh, about customers, about how marketing works, what we are seeing, um, and then also asking them the right questions you need to do your job well and the other way around. Mm -hmm. I've always found working with like the engineering team or the product team, like they are so keen to have marketing take the ball with, with the product, the value that they bring, like they've been working their butts off to bring this product to market. They're very excited to work with marketing. And I, once in a while, I talked with folks and, and they feel like there's a dichotomy there, or some kind of internal competition. And, and it's not a competition. It's, it's a collaboration and, and marketing plays a strong role of being a conduit mm -hmm. to, to these product teams. It, well, that there's a question um, that we want to ask around content marketing. Uh, a few years ago, you said that content marketing will just be straight up marketing. Walk us through that a little bit in terms of how do you think uh, content marketing is, is should be at the core of a marketing strategy? Mm. Yeah, 
I don't know where you found that from, but that is still very accurate though. Um, but I think especially in B2B marketing is all about educating customers, like I already said. Um, and in that way, good content that resonates with the potential users, the customers, is the key to a successful strategy. Thinking of the customer's journey, their uh, problems, the solutions to those problems, and then with different channels uh, and different ways to distribute that content and promote it, you can generate additional interest and bring people to your website or your product. But if you don't have good content to deliver at the right time to the right people, you're probably set to fail in your mission. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I found I found that quote from you uh, on Twitter. Actually, I don't know how, how how active you are on Twitter, but it was like one of your uh, I think like a couple of years ago you you said that, or maybe you retweeted it for some from someone. But it was very top of mind for us. Like we we had a, a previous yeah. guest on the show that like walked us through. He's building a book on like SaaS marketing channels, and he started yeah. off with content marketing because he believes that like it's at the core of any marketing strategy today. And you were yeah. just talking about like this like triangle between like customer success and product and marketing and sales. And I feel like something that really bridges the gap between all of those teams is content and like content really is like what kind of kicks off a lot of like understanding customers and those problems and use case maps and all that fun stuff. And so, um, yeah, I really think you kind of nailed that, that answer there. And I also love like your, your previous answer where you said, um, like developers aren't allergic to marketing. They're just allergic to bad marketing or marketing mm -hmm. that isn't relevant to them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but think of it for yourself. Like if somebody would, I don't know, advertise wrinkle cream to me just based on my <laughs> age or gender I don't know if I uh, respond well to that mm. <laughs> um, but then but then again there might be other things like I've for example discovered multiple good shoe and clothing brands from Instagram and I don't mind seeing those ads uh, so like it's really about um, understanding what resonates and what doesn't and and if it doesn't then also maybe um than doing something else instead. And I think in marketing, and especially if you have a growth marketing mindset and you do a lot of campaigns, there are things that will fail for sure. Maybe it's like, you know, nine out of 10 things that will end up being mediocre or a failure, but then you find a few things that really work. And then how can you build that machine where you take those learnings and double down on those things that work and quickly ditch those things that maybe didn't or learn from those mistakes where you didn't maybe hit the mark. Mm -hmm. Yeah, marketing yeah. marketing is such a iterative process, I think. And one thing, like I have a question for you around in terms of your leadership role, like it can be a little daunting knowing nine out of 10 projects isn't a home run. I know when we kick off a project, you're like, the business is going to change. Everything is going to be amazing. We're going to be, you know, billionaires. And then it's kind of a flop. But the, the secret often to great marketing is continuing to iterate, keep going back. So like when you're talking with your team around setting, setting them up for these learning experiences, what does, what does that look like? Yeah. I don't know if our track record currently is that bad, nine out of 10, but, <laughs> but anyways, I wanted to make a solid point there. Um, I think it's really key to also take the time to analyze the performance and look back on some of the things we've done. Um, and I think that's also been a journey at Ivan initially when we needed to get a lot of the things off the ground and build new things. 
we maybe didn't take enough time to look back and analyze the, uh, the performance of the activities. But um, the more we've done things, the more um, mature our process has also become. So we, for example, do debriefs with mm-hmm. campaign teams and within different subfunctions and teams on how did this activity um, work and or we've run experiments. We set targets for those experiments up front and then we analyze whether we got to those results or not. Um, so we have definitely uh, worked on establishing some processes where it's a regular practice for us to revisit what we've done, set goals up front and then revisit that and also spend the time within the project team or the functional team in discussing what we could have done better, what did we learn from this um, and so forward. And we do that also uh, with different functions in the case of product launches, for example, or some bigger ticket initiatives where we have other people involved. Um, of course, there's also a balance between how much time do you want to spend on dwelling on every single detail. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the point is not so much about you know, dwelling in the past, but more so on what's next, how can we like you said, iterate on this and make this better the next round. What are the learnings we take away from this? And who do we need to work with to make this even better the next time? Mm-hmm. When it comes to like evaluating the success of like those like nine out of 10 campaigns that you do, um, you guys are probably doing like a bunch of stuff at the same time. Are you like kind of pro attribution and you do like a mix of first touch, last touch, you kind of look at like everything that's going on, or are you more like on the side of incrementality and doing more like lift tests and experiments to kind of see, uh, whether you can lift revenue and then you kind of attribute that at the end. Like how, how do you kind of like know if you've defined success well in in that Mm -hmm. sense? Yeah, uh, it's really a mixed bag of those things at the moment. Um, Building an attribution model has definitely also (laughs) been a journey uh, for us. (laughs) And we haven't really wanted that to limit us um, in terms of experimentation. So in some cases, we just define goals for that particular activity upfront, and then we measure the success with those KPIs. But then in parallel, we are also working on, on attribution and the pipeline measurement overall so that we understand the overall impact of what we're trying to do and we have some very unique challenges in our business that relate to us um, marketing to a technical audience Uh, I don't know if um, either of you have any experience on this but many of our web visitors for example um, don't turn on their cookies for example and they have uh, ad blockers enabled Mm -hmm. and so forward so we have um, a significant chunk of our web visitors and signups um, coming from sources uh, that are a black box for us. So we try to make the most of the data we have, but there are definitely some practical challenges that we're still tackling with today. And I think, you know, just in terms of the trends on MarTech and web technology, it's just going to get more and more difficult as more privacy comes into place. I mean, you've been in marketing and in technical marketing roles and marketing operations now as in your seat as a VP of marketing. I'm curious if you, you know, just kind of take a look at the MarTech landscape and and look at where, where do you think the biggest need is today for you know, a leapfrog and capabilities or uh, an improvement in, in some of the processes and technology out there today that would, you know, maybe directly impact mm-hmm. your team or, or generally just improve the space. I'm just curious about your thoughts there. 
It's a really good question. I haven't thought of that uh, at all. I mean, first of all, I think that there are definitely tons of tools. There is a tool for anything and everything already mm-hmm. in the market. I would say it's a very saturated space uh, in that sense. Uh, what we've also noticed at Ivan is that a lot of the things we have wanted to do in terms of analytics, for example, and in modeling our business are things that we can partly build ourselves. For example, uh, we've been um, drawing some data from um, our product backend and the different marketing channels to uh, our data warehouse. And then we're doing certain things with the data ourselves, for example, to calculate um trial scores, for example. So based on behavior and some demographical factors, mm-hmm. we can tell what's the likelihood of um, a user to convert into a paying customer, for example. And it's actually proven to be the best way forward for us to build that ourselves instead of trying to find a third-party tool that can serve our exact purpose, because then we own the data model and you know we can constantly iterate on it. We can uh, we have the flexibility to define what it needs to look like and make changes to it uh, instead of being limited by the capabilities of a third-party vendor. That's not to say that we don't use third-party vendors. We do. <laughs> I don't even want to mention how many tools, how many tens of <laughs> tools we're using in marketing at the moment. Um, but I think it's really about also the centralization of, of all of that. Similarly, um, we have a CRM system and a marketing automation platform and all the basic capabilities in B2B marketing in place. But something that we are still trying to wrap our head or heads around is how do we make some of the information on our customers actionable to all of the teams, for example? So mm-hmm. we have, for example, our customer support conversations that are feeding into our CRM system. And if you click uh, on any of our customers um, or contact, you can see the discussions they've had with our support organization. Mm-hmm. But then that doesn't really give you the big picture on and all the intelligence you could draw from the support conversations on what, what are the most common things people ask about? What can we do about it? Like, how can we turn that into documentation or something? And those types of things. So it's really also about trying to think of how can we not just store big amounts of data and intelligence in these systems, but also make it um, actionable to, to the businesses. So maybe that is, I don't have a ready-made solution to that, um, but I think those are the types of things that we are thinking of uh, at Ivan and that's um, are quite high on my list. So. Very cool. Those are really interesting uh, problems, like especially at, at your scale, right? Like th- something that you don't really get to play around with in, in startups is this idea of like, do you build it in-house versus do you use a third-party tool? Like you rely on a lot more third-party tools in startups, at least in, in my experience. Mm-hmm. But like when yeah. you get, you start getting a bigger team and like, especially like a technical team, you start getting into discussions about like, all right, what can we build ourselves, especially around like models and like repeating that internally, like you get into like propensity stuff and trying to like predict customer behaviors um yeah we we could probably like go off on on a few more tangents here talking about martech and and the future of martech but 
want to switch gears a little bit and ask you uh, kind of our last question here, a bit more existential, stepping away from, from technology a bit here. But uh, we know you're a working mom. You're an executive at a billion-plus valued company. You're leading a big team with huge, ambitious goals. And uh, something we like, to get, uh, we like to ask all of our guests on the podcast is, how do you remain happy and successful in your career? How do you find balance between all of the things you're working on and how do you stay happy? Yeah. Um, well, there are probably some tactics in my back pocket on how I optimize my use of time. Like, you know, sometimes doing walking meetings or going for a run when I pick up my daughter from school or when I'm uh, tuning in on a company, all hands meeting. Um, I don't really think there's anything very, um, very special there. Like your time is always limited. I mean, having your work and your private life, you have to choose your priorities. And I've also learned that the hard way at some point. You just frankly cannot do anything and you have everything and you have to make some choices in your life. Um, and um, I've spent some time with a coach and by my myself and thinking about what are the things that are important to me, both at work and in my private life. And then I try to allocate my time on those. Um, it has also meant that I have, I've had to lower my standards in different uh, you know, parts of life. For example, you should see our house. It's a complete mess, but sometimes <laughs> <laughs> I, then, I then choose to, you know, read the bedtime story to my daughter over cleaning or for example, after an intense day of work, I just want to go for a run and listen to music and I don't necessarily want to um, listen in on a podcast, even though I do enjoy listening to podcasts, but there is a time for everything. And then mm -hmm. you just need to find a balance between work and your, and your private life and make some tough choices on both fronts on what you spend your time on. So really picking your battles. And maybe the final thing I'll say is that um, these narratives of heroic people or working moms don't really resonate that well with me uh, I mean I'm just a normal person trying to <laughs> cope with everything and it really is about um, like I said picking your battles and in some cases lowering your standards or picking the things you want to do really really well and focusing your energy on those while then maybe lowering your standards in some other parts of life Awesome advice. Really, uh, really great. Uh, thanks a lot for your time, Emma. This has been a great conversation. Uh, we'll share links to Ivan's website uh, and uh, your LinkedIn and, and social. I don't know how active you still are on on Twitter, but uh, yeah, I found some some cool golden nuggets in there of the stuff that you've <laughs> retweeted. Uh, but yeah, really appreciate your your time today. Thanks a lot for chatting with us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. It's been a lot of fun.